0: Hello, Chris. All right, we've got you back after three months where you were basically trying to run away from Corona, but realized it's everywhere. And so you just came back to Berlin, right? That's basically yes, sir. It. Yeah, good man. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we haven't spoken in a long time. Um, and it's uh, yeah, obviously that's a, that's a big shame because uh, there's always so much to talk about. But you've been busy. Um, and you yeah, have what have you been up to, basically, if it's okay to talk about? Uh. I've been working a bit.
1: Um, I'm working for you a little bit. It's just taking up a lot of my time. Uh, yesterday I was in Hamburg. Uh, we have like a new menu coming out, and they need some new equipment ordered. And I was there, like helping them get ready for next week before we shut down for this Easter holiday, which is seems a bit ridiculous that everything's closed for four days plus, you know. Already the lockdown that's going on. Mm. Yeah. So you would think maybe they just start vaccinating people instead of worrying about policing people.
0: Yeah, I get. I mean, when you put it in the context of policing people, that obviously makes it sound far more dramatic than it is. But uh, I mean, maybe you're right and I'm wrong. Maybe I've become desensitized. Well, to well you situation. live out there, you don't
1: really see. There's not much going on. So but around and. This area there's just like police presence, and
0: they're breaking up crowds, and they're writing fines. And see, now that's interesting, isn't it? Because we live in the same city, yeah. So, um, <coughs> and and the yeah, and the fact that there is a completely different atmosphere where we live. I mean, you're in Neukölln, yeah. I'm in Wilmersdorf. Kreuzberg. No, Kreuzberg. Okay. Uh, so yeah, Wilmersdorf. Just to confirm exactly what you just said there, it's a very residential area. Uh, The biggest danger is avoiding prams, Um, and so therefore there isn't too much by way of uh, adventure, shall we say? At least not on the surface. But obviously Kreuzberg, Neukölln, Friedrichshain—you know—these are areas which you would, you really say that there's a lot of Berlin character. There's a lot of um, multicultural elements within these uh, with these areas, and so obviously there's um, there's lots of bars which draw people. None of these bars are open at the moment but there's a lot of movement in the streets. So the police are really active over there, are they? Yeah, pretty active. They're around every day. Would you say, though, that they're, it's indiscriminate, as in they're breaking up any groups, or do you th- do you sense that, for example, they perhaps levit or gravitating towards, as opposed to levitating, gravitating towards um, ethnic minorities, or do you not sense that at all?
1: Not that. I think they're just... Gravitating towards like these these popular areas where there's more young people who are just not really following the rules, I guess, as they see it. Mm. Okay.
0: So there is active policing, and um, yeah, I mean, Berlin is so big. I it's very hard. You're right, though. I'm in a complete bubble. Um, and my only access to the realities that you will perhaps see on a daily basis are through television and media. So, I mean, that's a bit unfortunate.
1: What, one thing I read this morning was that, you see, France passed a uh, law that says, like, women under 18 cannot wear the hijab anymore.
0: In Fran- France is, is an interesting study, I think, um, in democracy, because the French are obviously a very proud nation. So they would push patriotism very much close to the border of nationalism. And there's always a sort of negative connotation with the term nationalism. Now, the French were the first, I think, to ban wearing the hijab or the burqa in public areas anyway. So, you know, if you if uh, as a Muslim woman, if you walk around in public, you have to show your face. Uh, I believe at least in certain areas. So in schools, for example, I think that they banned it. Um, So that's quite a controversial step. And then I'm not sure if if it's um, accurate to say that also one or two other European nations also took this step um, thereafter. But what's really telling about France taking this step is that I think the largest Muslim community in Europe is in France. There are five million Muslims in France. So it's particularly significant for their social makeup if France takes that kind of a decision. Um, But this flies in the face of how, I believe at least, how people are supposedly allowed to um, follow their religion. You know, so, you know, if it is a part of Muslim belief that that is the way that a person should dress, then... It's anti-democratic, I believe, to stop them from doing so. However, people far more learned than I uh, have said that this is not something which is laid down in Muslim uh, scripture. However, this is simply some um, uh, patriarchal tradition which has been passed down. uh, And so therefore, it's not a particular facet of Islam uh, that a woman has to completely cover her face. So th- therefore, you know, it's it's a it's perhaps uh, a difficult topic to to discuss. I'm not educated enough along those lines to be able to give a complete uh, answer. I would, however, hope, uh, even though that hope is perhaps misguided on occasion, uh, that the French have really done their homework and that this doesn't lead to additional problems because they've had enough. I think. Yeah.
1: I was reading. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I just been. I was reading. We our last discussion we had, we were talking about sports and racism in sports and mm. kind of around the, somewhere around the U.S. and how minorities were discriminated against in sports in the U.S. for a long time, and in the lack of, uh, you know, leaders or minority leaders and uh, sports organizations and co head coaches. Uh, so the major sports industries that are dominated by uh, you know black athletes and minorities. But I just I was reading a lot this morning about um, just you know you know some of the first uh, players were, that were drafted were in like the 60s to pro teams and some teams would trade them away because they were black. <clears throat> and one story that was really I always knew growing up that my dad would always tell me. Is the story of Coach Don Haskins at uh, University of Texas El Paso, and they played. And I think it was a 19, I don't get this wrong, maybe 63 uh, college basketball championship. And they played it actually in Maryland at uh, Cole Field House, which is the University of Maryland, Maryland's historic gymnasium that is now it's no longer active gymnasium, but it's historic because this game. Happened there and Maryland, won a national championship um, pl- while playing in this arena. And Don Haskins was one of the first was the first coach to start all black team uh, against an all white team for the University of Kentucky, who was the number one team in the country, most dominant team. Adolph Rupp is still known as one of the most dominant coaches of all time. He's not the most liked because of this. Racial history, but uh, Don Haskins defeated Kentucky with an all-black team, and the year after, it totally changed the way that college coaches recruited uh, African Americans in the United States after in
0: college sports. Okay, and um, knowing your name, is there any relation? No, not at all. No, it's just pure coincidence, is it? Yeah. Okay. I mean, look, just to give a bit of background, then. So you mentioned that we had this conversation about um, the underrepresentation of black people not in sport, but in management positions in sport, and we we sort of came up with some pretty interesting. I wouldn't say statistics, as it's not researched, um, but sometimes it's also telling to just be able to reveal off the top of your head. Um, you know, how many people you perceive to be within a management position uh, in a particular sport. So, uh, you know, I believe, for example, in the Premier League, we no longer have any black managers. Um, they were, the last one, I believe, um, he uh, managed at Brighton and then they were relegated. Um, I can't remember, Chris Powell, I think it was, but I can't remember his name. Um Before then, any other authoritarian figures was Uriah Rennie in the Premier League, who's the only black referee that they've had. Um, Yeah, which is crazy, isn't it, Uh, if you think about it? Um, But then, obviously, we we started talking more about American sports because there is a far greater representation of people of African origin in American sports, particularly in basketball. And we mentioned that of how many teams? Are there in the NBA?
1: I think about 32, 30, or 30 teams. Yeah, 30
0: teams. Okay. There's okay. like eight, uh, eight coaches, I think. Yeah, eight coaches uh, among 30 or 32 teams, and one owner, which is Michael Jordan, of course. Um, I mean, how long have African American athletes dominated? basketball it must be at least 20 years if not no, no, i would say four, 40 30 years okay all right so i was being extremely conservative are we really saying that in 30 or 40 years of you know that level of domination of a sport only eight are qualified to be top or head coaches that cannot be the case can it? it's terrible I mean, because I mean, people say, yeah, but maybe they don't have to all have been ex-players and so on. Look at Jose Mourinho or Arsene Wenger, you know, or Jurgen Klopp. None of these people were particularly great, you know, professional footballers in, in and of themselves. But the vast majority of coaches were ex-players at some point. Uh, and, and that's pretty much the same in the NBA. Isn't it? And most of the top coaches were former players, Right. I would I would
1: say eighty percent, seventy five percent of the time, yeah.
0: Okay, so a vast majority. We have yeah, a couple um,
1: guys who came around, but most of them, yeah. Even some, I think the majority of the white coaches might not have played
0: really. Some well, Phil of Phil Jackson played. played. Phil Jackson was a player, for example. I mean, yeah. I mean,
1: Steve Kerr. Uh, But, like, some of these other guys aren't at all. Like, the guy for the coach for the Heat, I don't think he even played college basketball. Really? Um, Yeah. uh, I mean, so a lot of them play college, and they coach, assistant coaches in the NBA. But, I mean, yeah, it's just, I mean, they used to say, like, uh, well, you know, like, Donald Sterling, what happened with him at the Clippers a couple years ago? Maybe 10 years ago, no. So Donald Sterling owned the Clippers forever and he big time business guy and he was one of the first NBA owners. So he's super old and he was dating this Latin chick who was super you know, young and she took a picture with Magic Johnson um, and they had put it on the Internet. And he like got caught on a phone tap telling her, like, you know, you can hang out with them, you can sleep with them. I don't want you associating with black people. It doesn't, it's not good for our brand. Blah, blah, blah. And this got leaked, and some of the players and coaches, like Doc Rivers, were like on the they were trying to boycott and they decided to keep playing through the playoffs. And then the NBA eventually, uh, the governors of the NBA, they voted to have him the sell the team from him and have mm-hmm. him him have him banned from the NBA because of this. But supposedly there was like ye, like other players who had played for him said that it was just, like,
0: years of discrimination and all this stuff. And now that you mention it, I do recall that there was this this incident. But, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, there were – there have been other – uh owners recently also to have made certain kinds of comments if i'm not mistaken um, and not only limited to basketball um it's perhaps also uh, the case in in the nhl there have been a number of um you know statements made which the league themselves just simply could not tolerate um so so there is a problem obviously even in the sport um What's the case with um, Colin Kaepernick? Because, uh, and I know I've mispronounced that name, but I mean, for example, he was completely exonerated as to his behaviour. Uh, the league, I believe, apologised and they they officially, and as it made an announcement of the apology, um, every Premier League and England game uh, which has taken place over the last year or so, they take the knee. Uh, obviously, that's inspired by, um, you know, Mr. Kapanik. Uh, what's his situation at the moment? Is, is he's um, he's not involved directly in the sport, is he? He's just a commentator.
1: No, he's just a social activist, I would call him now.
0: Mm. Um, he
1: kind of got blackballed by the NFL and the owners. You uh, know, when he left, he was one of the top players in the league. Or, yeah, he wasn't top, but he'd been in the Super Bowl, but he was definitely a top five quarterback. Um, he tried to make a comeback a couple of years ago, but no no team would pick him up. So he his lawyers kind of uh, they sued the NFL and got a buy like a buyout from him. I think it was like 50 million dollars for just being discriminated and blackballed and not being able to play anymore. And, mm-hmm. and then he signed like a huge deal with Nike um, to be like a Global ambassador for them, and okay. racial injustice. So he's, I mean, that's just what he's doing now. He tried to, you know, he said he still wants to play, but what can
0: you do when you get when that happens to you, you know? Yeah, um, I mean, clearly his actions um, have since led to, you know, It's a symbol, isn't it? And he is uh, symbolic of people simply saying, "This is not enough." And you know he he paid the price, but um, you know people can see therefore that you know if you are brave enough and you know you do pay that price, you, you can still be respected by the greater public. I believe he is. I mean I don't know you know enough about American football to be able to make any you know sort of like these wide sweeping statements, but he seems to be quite respected in society. Yeah
1: yeah he is I mean not not it's it's pretty 50 50 and those white people don't like him in the US and they think he's a disgrace blah 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 and they don't understand why he's kneeling and but yeah, you know they all know people are like oh I mean I get why he's kneeling but I don't understand like why is it this just. I get why he's upset but I don't think it's kneeling is right you know just respecting the troops but the guy who um actually told him to kneel was a former Guy who was in Iraq, who was a football player, white guy, who told him to take a knee to show because they were like friends, you know, and he was like he was like talking to him like how can I make an impact and um, show that there's an issue going on. He was like take a knee. It's mm-hmm. like you take a knee. It's like you know when someone gets hurt and like when you're playing sports, you take a knee, you know.
0: But why do they associate it with uh, insulting the troops? I mean,
1: the USA is they're, a- they're doing it during they're doing it during the national anthem, so it's supposed to dignify like our you know fighting for freedom and people who have lost their lives for our freedom, blah blah blah. That half
0: people don't even really care about, they but they. that's a that's a bit of a stretch, isn't it? I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that that's what you think, but as in you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know no country is only represented by its armed forces. I mean, if that's the case, then that country is purely a militaristic entity. So if, I mean, the national anthem of the USA is supposed to represent certain political ideals, not their military. And I believe by taking a knee, what that person was suggesting was, you know, at the moment, this country's government is not living up the principles that this anthem represents. And and I can only imagine that's what was meant by that particular move or gesture. Um, And I would imagine that introducing the troops into this discourse is simply an attempt to make it a more emotional rather than political um, issue. Because by saying, um, look, these guys are fighting for our democracy, have you just hit the bass drum? Or was that uh, some, a big bassy car drive past? Yeah, it's a real uh, loud uh, okay. Um, but basically, what, what they're saying is that, you know, look, this guy is attacking our troops. And obviously, the troops are an emotional um, body of people because they, uh, you know, they pursue uh, sort of defense or um, democracy principles either at home or abroad. So therefore, uh, they're a protected target. These these, these kids are essentially a weapon that you point in a certain direction and say, go and sacrifice yourselves. So therefore, I I can understand why people would not want them to be criticized, but that's not what he was criticizing. You know, because even though you'd probably say that most generals- Yeah, he 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 was
1: kneeling for police brutality.
0: Absolutely. And that's got nothing to do with the armed forces.
1: No. So but that's what they're saying. But well, it's not the right way to, to represent it. It's not the right right way to do it. Blah about, you know, all this crap?
0: Mm. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I mean, I guess we should probably at some point have um, you know, somebody come on who's a bit of a bit of a nationalist. Uh, and maybe they can try to explain it to us. Because uh, I'd like to understand, um, not because I, it's, there's a chance of my opinion being changed. I'd like to say that I'm an open-minded guy, um, but I'd like to understand it better. Um, but nobody's been able to explain it to me. Um, one other question for you, though, Chris. Um, and I yeah, I, I probably have talked a lot more today than I normally do. But um, why is the national anthem played before every event in the USA?
1: That's a good question. A lot of people question it, and actually, the NBA is gonna not isn't gonna do it anymore. Really? I think, yeah, I think they decided not to do it anymore. Um, I'm not sure of that. I think like uh, Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban decided he didn't want to play it anymore. But since something came out after that, um, but it really doesn't make any sense. I don't know. It's just something they've done for a long time, and. I mean, would make you make perhaps doesn't make any sense? You don't do it before concerts. You don't do it before um, movies, <laughs> you know. Yeah,
0: so I don't know I why mean, they
1: do it. They do it
0: for I mean, I mean, we sport. Yeah, especially, you, like, when
1: you have a sport. But why do they do it in the World Cup, you know? National teams. That's fair enough. Right. Yeah, yeah. But why, yeah exactly. So if you're playing in the same country. But, like, in the NFL, they do, like, I mean, uh, NHL, they do, like, the Canadian one as well. Okay, but not not too often though. Only when a Canadian. No, they do it every game. They do it every game because there's Canadian teams represented in the the
0: league. But I mean, you know, if the team doesn't represent the nation, so I mean, the Chicago Bulls they don't represent America. They represent Chicago. Yeah, for example, Um, you know, Manchester United represents Manchester. It doesn't represent England. So therefore, you know, why would nobody would want to listen to the national anthem played uh, you know, at a Manchester or North London derby. Or, you know, if uh, Notts County plays, I don't know, uh, you know, um, Colchester, then you know, nobody wants to, to listen to the national anthem there. So I, I don't see why in the USA it has to be played every game. So, yeah, if the NBA decides to stop that as of next season, um, maybe other sports will follow. I hope so, because it just doesn't make any sense. But
1: I don't know. But maybe it also, maybe it it takes away from this opportunity. I saw some of the Premier League players stop kneeling because they said it's not changing anything.
0: Yeah. um, you uh, You know, what it does do, however, it makes you think about it. You know, I mean, I always look forward to watching, you know, a Premier League game, especially with the bigger teams, of course, with the the better players. It's more entertaining and so on. But, um, you know, so in in the build up to the game, I'm looking forward to it. I'm thinking about the players involved Um, and then I see them kneel and then it reminds me, actually, yeah, the game should be good, but there are more important things. So if they continue doing it, I, I think I will I will understand that. For as long as there is racial inequality in the UK, I think they should continue kneeling. And if some people say it's not making any difference, then um, yeah, then we should um, emphasise the action or add to it, but not remove it, if you know what I mean. Um, but recently there was um, an, a, a, some research released that had been commissioned by the government in the UK, and um, yeah, it was quite disheartening because it, it essentially tried to make out that there um, there was no um fundamental um institutionalized racism um in 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 the police force did it specify um i'd have to go back and, and read through it again um to you know to the article again uh, to, to be sure about that but um yeah there are you know, these problems continue to exist because uh, a lot of the authorities remain in denial, don't they?
1: Yeah, they do. Um, I mean, I I just can't get my mind off this. Uh, and there's just no, only one representation of all these players. It's just. Well,
0: no, there isn't. I mean, Uriah Rennie retired a few years ago, so there isn't. There is no black referee now. Um, there's one female lines lady, if you can call her that. I don't know. Um, uh, but there is there yeah there is no diversity uh, among the referees. They are all white men. Um, the only diversity is that they come from different parts of England. Otherwise, you know that's it. Um, and yeah, you don't see any authority figures in the game who. Are not um, white, essentially.
1: Yeah.
0: Now yeah, I think the, the closest we come to diversity is uh, the Wolves manager. Yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, but otherwise, nothing really, unfortunately. Yeah. It's pretty
1: crazy, man. I just, I'm still kind of trying to wrap my head around how people are letting them, the Premier League, get away with this. But I guess in a country where it's just more controlled, they, they control it more than like the U S people would just
0: have a fit. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, I, I think that there is, you know, racism takes many different forms, doesn't it? And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm I often remember with great embarrassment, you know, when you asked me to name, uh, my five top premier league players, um, and I gave you my list and you responded saying, not one of them is black. Yeah. you know and, and i think to myself and and i'm like you know shit man yeah that's absolutely it's right yeah, that's abso- abso- it is it is it's absolutely terrible because i'm not racist it's, in any way and yeah i did name fake. one yeah i didn't name one black player in my list of five and, and um, i don't know like
1: i don't know how many black players are trying to be coaches hmm
0: yeah this right. is this is a tough one. I mean even in France I think Thierry Henry became a head coach, he was terrible so he didn't last very long. Um you know I can't for the life of me think of any top black coaches in 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 uh, in any of the European leagues. As in, I don't believe there's one in Germany. I don't believe there's one in Spain. There's there isn't one in England, and there isn't one in in Italy. I I don't know about France. Um, but France, I think, has one.
1: Yeah, I do think of that because I was watching some game and they had this guy who was pretty. He was like maybe in his thirties. Okay. Or like late thirties. He had played around, but yeah, that is
0: just unbelievable. In my opinion. Mm. Yeah. Mind blowing. I mean, I mean it, you've got to think that in the top five leagues, there are at least you know at least ninety to a hundred teams in those top five leagues, and to only have two or three coaches who are black, and all of those are in France. Uh, I think that's extremely embarrassing. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah, but I mean, also before you 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 uh, you asked me about radicalization because I put it in this. Um, that was one of the, the elements of um, racism, right? This is one of the sources of race, racism that I had alluded to. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you know, what, I, what I wanted to talk about with that is there's, there are obviously different kinds of, of radicalization and you can also put into that um, where people are essentially brainwashed. And... Normally, people are brainwashed when they are susceptible to brainwashing. Now, in some countries, you would say that their entire educational platform is brainwashing. Um, In in other countries, you would say that people who are perhaps poor or badly educated or don't have a a good job or who have learning difficulties, these people can become targets and therefore are more easily brainwashed and radicalised and it's that process of radicalization that can make people start to believe in racist ideology. Even if they hadn't begun or hadn't been racist before, they are taken advantage of. Uh, And this is why I I added that into the uh, potential sources. Uh, Obviously there are many, many different reasons why somebody may Starts to exhibit racist behavior but this is one of the potential reasons behind it it's that their, their their life's circumstances are such that they have then followed others into a path of um racism yeah huh. I mean, we see it all the time, you know, when, when, we, when you see demonstrations about people, um, about immigrants and immigration, you know, there is no real uh, legitimate reason to exclude people from coming to a country unless, of course, there is some kind of racially motivated issue in the background. Because it's a case, it's it's a policy which is run on a case by case basis. You know, if somebody has committed a crime in the country of their origin, um, then they would be rejected. Otherwise, if somebody is coming to to Germany, for example, from a, a country where they are perhaps persecuted, then they have to be given asylum. Right. And they, and, yeah. And so when people go out into the streets and demonstrate, it's because they want to have a blanket ban. On people coming into the country from another specific country and so therefore you want to introduce a ban on either racial or cultural grounds that is racism true you know Um, so this is what I was referring to I
1: mean I think some countries think like they're protecting their people from something but it's but that's the thought though isn't it why would yeah but why do you think that? But I don't know. It's just like that's just kind of it is racism. And it's also um, like stereotyping the whole the whole culture that's coming there They're saying like, that they're all going to be terrorist or they're all dangerous or they are all are lazy. This sort of thing.
0: Um, are these words familiar to you?
1: Oh, yeah. You hear this, these phrases all the time.
0: Yeah. W- w- wasn't the America's greatest ever wall builder? Uh, also quoted repeatedly for this. Yeah. Donald Trump, yeah. That's what I mean. But I'm, I'm being a, a bit sarcastic with regards to the greatest wall builder. But uh, as in, he said this about Mexicans, didn't he? That they were all rapists and murderers. Exactly. And
1: that they and, are lazy and they're stealing from us and we need to keep them out. Yeah.
0: Then he introduced the Muslim ban. Uh, from or from countries where no uh, identified terrorists had actually attacked uh, any U.S. targets and that Saudi Arabia, from where there had been identified targets, uh, they were not a part of the, the Muslim ban. And so therefore, obviously, questions have to be asked about that particular policy. But anyway, um, yeah, the, these kinds of things, essentially, for me, are forms of radicalization. You know, if a government like Trump's government comes out and says um, we cannot accept people from Muslim countries to come to the USA, that's basically educating young Americans to think anybody who comes from a Muslim country is potentially a terrorist. That is racism. Yep. That is that is radicalizing, rad- radicalizing you know, uh, rhetoric essentially. Yes. And he he continued to do this um throughout his term in president as president, um, and that's what culminated in the events of uh, January the sixth, essentially.
1: all, J. Hmm. And then, I mean, now he's given those people a voice to say what he wants, you know. I mean, what's you, the situation? You know, kind of while you have this this situation with these like shootings and the, the Asian discrimination, because he, you know, started with this, you know, making sure it's okay. You know?
0: Mm-hmm. So w- what is the situation now in the USA? Okay. Because everybody, people know, okay, everybody's a bit, a bit crazy thing to say, but people know that you cannot simply change the entire cultural, status of a country within a certain number of months so therefore you know America didn't become racist four months after uh, no he just
1: ignited ignited these thoughts and made it okay to say it publicly and you know he's like a leader behind it that's that's the issue
0: but also right now we cannot say that the usa is no longer racist because we've got biden as, as as the president there so what is the current situation in the usa from what you know from your conversation with your friends have the these racist groups gone f- back underground because biden is is out or are, are these people sort of you know once on the surface they're there to stay no they're there they're out there it's just
1: No, they they're in groups and they're they just it's all about the, what the news shows and so the news is not showing too much at the moment they're showing what they want but they're still there mm-hmm. you know but they don't have their commander in chief to to give them praise all the time anymore
0: and what about this like a Qanon group um, they're just Nuts.
1: I was talking to this guy the other day about the whole PizzaGate gate situation where they said that like Hillary Clinton was hiding uh, pedophile or children in the basement of this pizza place that actually my uh, I used to go next door to the pizza place to the dry cleaner. And my lawyer actually is right down the street as well. And the pizza place, I think, went out of business because people were so scared because the guy came in there with a gun trying to free the kids. That's crazy. i would never heard of that. i would never Yeah, it's heard. called Comet Pizza, I think. And they, uh, my friend has a pizza company in DC and they, a lot of these other companies got together to try to, um, help them because they, their business got impacted tremendously because they on the internet, on these blogs, QAnon blogs, they're saying that all these, uh, you know, these, they're hiding children in the basement of this pizza restaurant it was just made up you know and it destroyed these people's business
0: unbelievable unbelievable <laughs> it's amazing the impact it can have because also this um this garden center uh in where was it in in pennsylvania this garden center apparently they they started making more money than they'd ever made before because of this crazy press conference that they held there um, I don't know if I've got the city wrong, but um yeah, it's amazing the impact that politics can have on these uh, you know, sort of small Oh businesses. yeah, it's
1: where Trump had his like he was supposed to have some kind of meeting and they picked, they've, they have said like the Grand Hyatt the Garden Hyatt or something, Hilton but they yeah, picked the like, you know, landscaping That's New Jersey. <laughs> that's it, yeah. Was it totally, New Jersey was it. Yeah, they totally picked the wrong place on Google Maps and it was like pretty funny because they're in front of like a
0: Landscaping center. Was that was that basically just a mistake? Then they just picked out the wrong. Place? Yeah, whoever
1: was whoever was in charge messed up.
0: Because <laughs> it's, it's just crazy, crazy to see. Uh, and uh, Gi- Giuliani was there, and behind him is this yeah. like. Uh, and then, it got, and it
1: was like it was like too late for them to change location, so
0: they're like, okay, we have to do it here. I remember watching the commentary from the journalist. it says yeah we're here we, we don't know why we're here and the people at the garden said they haven't got a clue what's going on um, but yeah that's uh, okay entertainment is uh, yeah it's one of those things but obviously there's you know, a lot less controversy now with the Biden presidency and so uh, things are sort of quiet on the western front I think we can say safely but, I mean, Trump is still, yeah, he's still making waves, isn't he? So he's he still, how come he's still allowed to come out and basically say, they stole the election from me? Yeah, how come he can't be gagged? I mean, surely well, somebody... somehow it got
1: on Facebook and Facebook took it down. But I, I think eventually, I think he might just run out of energy with this, I hope. <laughs> like, I don't think he'll keep, continue to make these comments and stuff all the time, you know.
0: Cuz last week he, he was he gave a speech at, at somebody's wedding and uh, yeah, apparently he spent uh, the first 10 minutes uh, talking about corruption, Biden and that they stole they stole the election. I mean I mean that's not the kind of speech you give at a wedding, surely. Yeah, I don't know
1: what's going on with Joe either, but okay. <laughs> He broke his foot. He's fallen down the stairs of Air Force One. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, he's – how old is he? 79? 78. Okay, yeah, seven between 77 and, and 79. I mean, sure, surely, you know, norm, I mean, I'm not ageist or anything, but, I mean, to do, to do that job – I mean, look, look at Obama, you know, when, when Obama was president for the first time, you, you could have said you know, he, he just retired from the NBA, right? Um, by the time he left, he, he could have been Pope, you know?
1: Yeah, he looked like he, he's so gray and
0: stuff. I mean, it's, it's, I can only imagine it's a crazy job. And surely Biden, having been vice president for eight years, knows exactly what it involved. So, I mean, that's a that's a hell of a decision to take. I, I really can't see you know, what he wants Is to he achieve. Is he the oldest leader in the world? Uh, isn't he older than the Pope? <laughs> I guess. Uh, he must be the only world leader in the history of the world to be older than the Pope. <laughs> I don't know if there's a statistic for that somewhere. But I don't yeah, because this pope
1: isn't too old. This pope's probably what fifteen years in something.
0: Yeah, he also spends a lot of time in Vatican City, and I don't think he moves around half as much as uh, President Biden will have to. Um, oh yeah,
1: I don't. I think Biden, as soon as he gets
0: on that airplane, he just goes to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, he should try sleeping before he gets on the airplane. Judging yeah. by his recent performances, um, but okay, Pope. I'm just Pope Francis, I just want to see uh how old he is. Oh no, sorry, he's eighty four okay, so he's just a few years older than Joe Biden, okay, oh well that would have been a great line. We would have been the first to have recognized that fact, but it wasn't even a fact, so therefore, I'll just leave it there. I'm not going to edit it. I don't mind looking like a fool um. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, when how long do you think it's going to take before uh, he resigns and leaves Kamala Harris to take over? Oh, this is it after this year. I mean, I, I mean, heaven forbid, I hope nothing. He doesn't have
1: like any medical issues in the next year or two. Um, But I mean, I guarantee he gets his blood pressure and his heart checked every morning.
0: I, I, mate, if I had that job, I'd do that, too. Yeah, and I'm a lot yeah. younger than he is. He probably sleeps with IVs. Man. Just to make sure he... But it's not like Trump was, you know, that much younger. I mean, you know, Trump's also... Two years. Yeah, 76. 76. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there there must be... I mean, I know it's not in the Constitution, but they must start to think about putting in an age limit to becoming president.
1: I thought there was... There's there's an age limit for how young you can be. Okay, but not how old. Yeah, because Kennedy, I think thirty-six is the youngest.
0: Yeah, that's crazy though. Surely
1: it's a little too young, um, don't you think?
0: No, why? William Pitt the Younger was uh, was about 24, 25 I think, when he became prime minister. Of who? Of uh, the UK. Pitt really? the Younger. Yeah, he he was prime minister. He was in and out a couple of times actually um, of, of of the job. Um, and when he left, he was convinced to to come back again a few years later. And and they they were turbulent times as well. Um, I think early 19th century. So,
1: well, here's what I'm just to wrap this conversation up. Yeah, I think the U.S. is maybe a little bit further ahead with this discrimination thing, even though it's more public. It was more in the media, but I think. England has a long way to go with this whole Premier League situation. Um, I don't I just I just still understand these numbers, especially how global the sport is and how many players from South America and Africa are playing in the Premier League that they aren't represented at all. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, That's just that's a huge issue for me.
0: I think it's telling. It's telling because it's representative of the society in which it exists. And so therefore, I think it very clearly tells us that racism is still institutional in, in the UK, that there, there is a need for reform. And I believe the Premier League itself wants to be a vehicle for that reform or at least wants to motivate that kind of reform. Who's the president of the Premier League? Um, I, I think it was Scudamore, but I don't know who it is. If if I don't know if he left, um, um, I, I don't know actually. I don't know. I, I I tend not to follow those these leaders um, of either the Premier League, the FA, or uh, the, the 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 football the Professional Footballers Association, because I don't particularly like the way that the, the the league is managed in England. But, I mean, that's a completely different issue. But, I mean, you're right to say that the UK has a lot to do with regards to racism. I don't know if it's further along or less than uh, the USA. I, I, to be honest, these are kinds of, um, uh, you know, I don't think there's a winner in that particular race. You know, as far as I'm concerned, you're either over it or you're not. You know, and if you're over it, cool. How did you get there so that we can teach others? And if you're not, then how will we get there? You know, I think these are the only two measures uh, that we could introduce. But I think because in the UK there isn't really this um, gun crime that you have in the USA, racism is a lot more low key.
1: Yeah,
0: that's true. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think if, if, if the UK also had the same level of access to guns that you have in the USA, it would probably be just the same. It would be just as violent. It would be just as horrific. And we'd be talking, excuse me, about a lot more deaths than we have done over the last few years in the UK. Yeah. And just while we're on that, then... Um, just quickly, and then, that we can, um, yeah, close it up. But what's your view on uh, gun crime? Because uh, what Kamala Harris said in a speech or in a in a question not long ago, she was asked why doesn't Biden come up with a presidential decree to basically um, change gun crime or gun law, and she said, um, yeah, the executive order will do that, but it's not a permanent change. If you want to make it permanent, then you need legislation. And that's clearly where the USA is at right now, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's really difficult to understand. Um, I think the country was kind of built off this, the right to bear arms, Second Amendment, and um, a lot of people believe in it. I do believe you, if you have been, if it the, if your state allows you, and you have a registered gun, I, I believe it, as being American, I think it's okay. Um, I do have issues with uh, these AR-15s and these assault t- type rifles. They're not assault rifles, assault type rifles. I don't think they are necessary. But if you want to have a pistol or a shotgun in your home and you get registered by the state legally, I think it's, it should be permitted. Like, I think you should be able to do it. Um, But this, this is such an, now the the production of guns and the amount of guns that are produced and uh, the gun shows that you can go in and just buy a gun without having a license in one state and then drive over to another state where they're illegal and then sell them on the black market is an issue. But, it's not good. It's, it's just so hard to stop. You know, the only thing they are gonna do is start regulating the production of the guns and the, which ones they are producing. But then you're going to have, uh, you know, a lot of those people are lobbying in the Republican Party for the NRA. And there's a lot of money in producing weapons. So then, you know, that's that's the, that's the main issue is stopping the lobbyists in the NRA. And I don't think I don't even think Joe Biden wants to get into that because. He has his pocket and that stuff as well somewhere.
0: They all do. Yeah, I'm sure they do. And I mean, in recently in Germany, there was a, a law introduced with regards to uh, lobbyists, lobbyists and the access of lobbyists and the influence that they have. And uh, you know, as a result of that, these cases started emerging where uh, members of parliament had made money in commission for selling um, protective equipment under the um uh, under the pandemic or during the pandemic so i can only imagine that nobody wants to touch these lobbyists groups in washington uh, because that's a serious can of worms uh, it probably goes back a long way too so you know i think that would be really difficult to change to limit the influence of the lobbyists in washington you'd basically have to rebuild washington wouldn't you yeah for sure but that's
1: that's not gonna happen. <laughs> no, no time soon anyway. Yeah. Okay. So, I think the best solution is to increase the the sales, monitor the sales of the guns, and she, just people need to start because like yeah, the guy in uh, Colorado's like his neighbor or his sister-in-law said she saw him playing with one of these the guns he used in the shooting like the week before, and I think people just need to be more aware and. When they see this type of stuff, they have to say something, and that's that can slow down a lot of it, but it's not going to stop all of it. But maybe you'll save some lives, but uh, you're not going to solve the US gun problem. No, absolutely not.
0: That's that's very much uh, a part of the problem, um, especially for you know, Democrats at the moment. How do you extricate yourself from a marriage to? Uh, the provision of equipment like that in, into open society uh, when it's so ingrained it's uh, it's very hard okay all right Chris um, let's have a quick chat after this but um, thank you very much anyway it's good Friday and you're here and talking to me so that's always a good sign um, and uh, yeah thank you man thanks for your insight you got about five more minutes yeah yeah see <laughs> you. <buddy.
1: laughs> see